Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The rosters are set, and baseball's brightest stars are descending on Los Angeles for the 2022 All-Star Game. You can bet on baseball all summer long with betonline.ag, and you can get a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up with our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is July 15th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Joining us on the show today is Daniel Wilcox. He is a former NFL tight end. He played for the Baltimore Ravens for about four seasons, really five seasons, five seasons in Baltimore, and he now hosts the Believe in Ravens podcast on this Believe podcast network. He won a Super Bowl with the Buccaneers. He is awesome, and you guys are going to enjoy some of the stories today and football analysis. I'm excited to talk to Daniel. I hope you guys are excited to listen to Daniel talk because he's really, really good at this podcast thing. I guess that's what we're doing here. It's the podcast thing, right? That's kind of what this is. So I'm excited to talk with him, and uh, I guess just follow Believe in Ravens because a lot of other stuff is him being a dad and, and working on his business projects, which are hard for you guys to support. Maybe you could just give him some moral support in, in being a dad by downloading the Believe in Ravens podcast or something like that. Uh, I don't have an A block today. DeAndre Ayton's back with the Suns. Guess that was going to happen eventually. <laughs> the, the, yeah, I like uh, Molly Morrison on Twitter put out the point that uh, the, the Pacers gaslighted the Suns into giving DeAndre Ayton a max deal. Thought that was clever. Pacers had to waive like four players to make it happen. That happened on Thursday. That's all I got. Now let's get to Daniel Wilcox joining us here today. It's the shortest A block we've ever had, people. Just a 40-second long A block before we get to this wonderful, wonderful podcast with former Tampa Bay Buccaneer and Baltimore Raven tight end Daniel Wilcox. I make the mistake early on in the show. It is Super Bowl champion Daniel Wilcox joining us on the Take It Easy podcast. Uh, 
All right, all right. Joining us here today is Daniel Wilcox, former NFL tight end for Tampa Bay and the Baltimore Ravens. He does a podcast with Believe called Believe in Ravens. Uh, so I'm excited to talk to him today. Daniel, how are you feeling? I'm feeling great, Kyle. Thanks for having me on the show, buddy. Absolutely. So I, I know we're kind of in the like the dull part of the, the NFL offseason at this point, but is there anything in the last like three to four months that's like really piqued your interest? You know, I know you cover Baltimore part time, but like it can be anything right now. What's, what's kind of got you interested? Well, I mean, I'd like to see the offseason acquisitions, you know, even seeing like Russell Wilson go to the Denver Broncos. That's freaking awesome. You know, um, you know, losing Hollywood Brown, you know, going to Arizona with his old buddy Kyler Murray. You know, all that stuff excites me and piques my interest because you never know if those college connections are going to come back and they're going to really ball out for real, you know. So if it's real, it's real. If it's not, it's not, you know. So it's, it's just kind of cool to see how the offseason kind of transpire, who picks up who, who trades who, who picks up this guy, that guy. The Dolphins, I thought, had a heck of an offseason as well. Um, we never do anything special. So, I mean, it is what it is in Atlanta. But the Ravens is always impressive. You know, they always do a great – phenomenal job you know getting rid of guys picking up new guys and adding to that that dominant defense that the Baltimore Ravens always have just awesome opportunity man to kind of be a part of Baltimore still I mean the Baltimore Ravens got I mean my friend who does draft stuff the second best prospect in the draft at number 14 and you know walked away with another first round pick for Hollywood which I I love the fact that they basically traded the, when they drafted Hollywood, he was, I think, like the 25 pick, and then they traded the 23 pick in exchange for him. So that worked out great for them. It's kind of fun how that works out when you look at it like years in the background. But um, I'm with you on the college connection thing. Like I know Lamar and, and Hollywood like grew up together, but didn't like play together in college. And they were friends, of course. I'm interested that a lot of teams have kind of started looking that as like a, a point of when you when you've developed chemistry with a quarterback that a quarterback and a receiver or quarterback and a tight end, like that's actually becoming something where they value it more potentially in their draft. Cause like um, the, the dolphins did it with Tua and Jalen Waddle. I know Hertz and Devonta Smith didn't play together, but obviously they were like one year apart in and out of Alabama. So, and, and then right. obviously Kyler and Hollywood, it's interesting that people are, are trying to build that connection um, between guys who have already thrown together for a long time. Well, if you, if you really think about it, Kyle, like, um, you know, chemistry is the most important part of this thing. Chemistry is two things I, I think people just leave, you know, kind of underrated, under, it flies under the radar. It's chemistry and also confidence. You know, like guys can come in super confident and then lose their confidence right away when they get to the NFL because it's just so imposing on you, right? You know, and then it takes a while to build that confidence up for some guys. Some guys come in, fit right in, don't bother them at all because they – went to Alabama for four or five years and they fine when they get to the NFL because they've been playing the NFL for the last four years anyway, you know, but a lot of guys come in like myself. I came out of a small school, undrafted free agent at Appalachian state. Um, and they told me the way I was going to make this team as an undrafted free agent was special teams. Well, special teams wasn't what got me to the NFL. What got me to the NFL was my catching ability and what I could do with the ball in my hands and how I could run routes and get open, you know? So I had to adapt and change who I was as a player to form and fit in the NFL to stay around long enough so somebody can actually see those talents that I have, you know, and it took me three years, you know, to kind of figure that part out. And once I got it figured out, I landed in Baltimore. And next thing you know, I, you know, I start for five years there. So, you know, I think confidence is underrated. I think the connection that you have between the quarterback and the receiver, 
I don't think I think that chemistry is phenomenal or, you know, whether it's tight end, running back, quarterback, receiver, whatever. I just think that chemistry is irreplaceable. If it's hot, it's hot. You know, if it's not, it's not, you know. So if you get a chance to go get a kid that played with another kid, you know, it's, it's to me, it's a no brainer to do. It's instant chemistry. Those guys instantly know each other. They all, they already have something they can relate to. They both came from a school together, and um, and it's instant. It's an, it's an instant conversation starter. So I think I think I think a lot of these GMs are starting to get a lot smarter. Why do you think it is that chemistry and confidence have been like so undervalued then over the past? I mean, really, thirty years of football. But like, why is it just now that people are just are realizing that this is something that might actually hold value? Because I feel like. In the NFL, it's like a, a fight to, for just the smallest competitive edge. And everyone's, I mean, not everyone's trying to do different things, but a lot of people are trying to do different things to just get the slightest edge. And no one's mm-hmm. ever really tried it until, I guess, the last like five to 10 years. Well, you know, I think a lot of these teams, um, they've, they've always cared about chemistry. I mean, team chemistry is the most important part of winning the Super Bowl to me. Of course, you got to have all the pieces and the elements there, but. You, you can look like the best team in the whole NFL on paper, but if the chemistry ain't there, something's off in the offense, something off in the defense, the coaching staff don't quite jet, you know, gel quite well, you know, you could, it's the smallest thing will throw you off and throw you off those rockers and you won't make the Super Bowl or the playoffs, you know. So I think chemistry has always been around. I think the Ravens have always done a phenomenal job. I think in the NFL, you don't go and, you, and just draft guys. You're actually interviewing guys, and when you interview those guys, you're, you're basically typecasting like a movie, right? So you like, this is my movie. The Ravens, the Baltimore Ravens is my movie. And I got all these guys, all these pieces I need to put in place to make this movie the best movie ever been played. And I, and I got to go typecast guys to go in each one of these roles because I know what we need in order to be great on offense or be great on defense or to be great on special teams. So I think the Ravens do, have always done a phenomenal job of typecasting. Is that guy Raven? Yeah, he's a good football player. But is he a Raven? You know, and that's why you, you have that motto, play like a Raven, right? You know, you go and find those guys that actually play like a Raven. And when one guy leaves that facility and another guy comes into that facility and they give that jersey to the next guy, it's kind of hard to tell them apart sometimes because they typecast every single body. You know, you know they, they, they get Terrell Suggs and he was phenomenal for years for them. And then they go get Matthew Judon. And when you, you put a pass on, if you put him on a 55 jersey, you would swear to God that was Terrell Suggs. You know, big butt. It's just that it's the bill, right? It's the big butt, the little waist, the long arms. You know, they look just like brothers on the field, side by side on different ends of that spectrum. So they go typecast guys that look like look and feel like the guys that they've already seen. And I think one of the things that a lot of people don't understand sometimes, you know, you get guys that are player personnel or guys that are scouts and stuff, and all they do is they go out and they try to typecast players. They haven't played the game sometimes. So when you haven't played the game, you can you can look at these guys objectively and say, all right, who do he reminds me of? Oh, he reminds me of um, Ray Lewis. He has the same Ray Lewis body type. His lower body looks like Ray Lewis, so you know he's explosive. You see the way he runs to the ball. You know, he, he's strong. He's a wrestler just like Ray was. They're looking for all these little indicators that remind them of something that another great player or spectacular player had, and then they hope those things come into fruition when they get on the team and they, and they flourish and blossom into a great player. I guess the other thing I forgot to mention off the top is Super Bowl champion Daniel Wilcox is joining us on the show because uh, you know what it's about when when you won a championship. You've been on teams that have either gotten to the championship or conference championships and second rounds and things like that. 
bringing up Baltimore is interesting in that typecasting because obviously Ozzie Newsom was running the team for years and years. And obviously he is a former player, one of the you know great NFL players of all time. And he's kind of the person that we think of as like responsible for the, not necessarily like the Ravens culture, but that idea of like, we're going to typecast this player and this player. And for 20 years with like three or four years in between for 20 years, we're going to be a great football team. Um, do you think that like, that's something that'll carry over now that Ozzy isn't running the team anymore? Or is that something that like that stability at the top was always really important for building uh I guess I always call it like the silver standard for the NFL. Cause like everyone talks about the Patriots, the Patriots, but like Baltimore very quietly was running the same kind of operation for 20 years. It just didn't have the same gravitas as the Patriots. I don't know what they call it in Baltimore, but that's just, that's what I've always referred to it as. Yeah. I think, I think the Patriots got lucky cause they got like Tom Brady, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, you can have a great coach. You can have great defensive guys. You know, the Ravens definitely had the prototype and the blue chip and the blueprint for greatness. You know, they had the best defense in the league for almost 20 years, you know? So when you look at that, you know, they definitely got a recipe to be great. What they've always been missing is a quarterback, you know? Um, so I think the Patriots got lucky by drafting Tom Brady in the sixth round and he turned out to be the most phenomenal player to ever play the freaking game and still, you know, making people scratch their heads every day because he's still doing phenomenal things, you know. So I think if the Ravens would have ended up with a Tom Brady with the same prototype that they've had, that the blueprint that they've been running for the last 20 years, instead of having two Super Bowls, they may have 12. You know, like they're unstoppable. The defense has absolutely been phenomenal. I can remember talking to Ray, you know, Ray was like, Wilcox, if y'all score 21, we're going to win. You know, we're going to keep on at 21. Nobody's going to score more than two or three touchdowns on us. And we, we're not going to have a 100-yard rusher. That was the stamp. That was the stamp of approval for my defense. You know, they're not going to give up 100 yards on the ground, and then they're not going to let these guys score more than two or three touchdowns. All we got to do is score two or three touchdowns, and we win. And our defense was almost so good that they would give us a touchdown in the game. So they spotted us a touchdown almost week in and week out. You know, so all we had to do is score two touchdowns, and we win. You know, that's almost unheard of. You know, and that's the type of defense and the type of mindset that that organization had. And that's what they wanted to do in order to be the best version of themselves, you know, in the NFL. Um, I think the Patriot, the Patriot way, that's what they call them in Patriot you know, up in New England, has been a phenomenal way to handle things, you know. And they run it like a business. It's a world oil machine. It's like going to play at a great college that got a bunch of history. And um, they've been winning for a long time. You come in and you just automatically start winning. You play harder. You finish harder. You finish stronger because you know all the footsteps that was on those field that came on that field before you and prior to you. And you're chasing ghosts. You're always chasing ghosts. when you're on the football field, trying to continue that legacy. You know, um, the Ravens to me have set them, has set themselves apart from almost every other team in the, in the league, by the way they recruit, by the way they um, recycle players, by the way they prepare the guys. I think they do a phenomenal job of developing their players. You know, um, I think Lamar is going to have a phenomenal year this year. You know, I think it's going to be a great year for Baltimore. Last year, I think we had so many injuries that people kind of counted you out and kind of forgot who you were, you know. But this year, I think they'll remind some people, you know, exactly who they are. I mean, I think of it like the last two years even, too, because 2020, they got hit with a, a whole host of injuries. But Lamar Jackson still had them be in a top five, top six team in the NFL where – I mean, they they got beat by Buffalo, but it wasn't like they were outclassed by Buffalo. It was like one play ended up changing that game in the playoffs. So, like, 
two years in a row in the prime of Lamar Jackson's career, they've just had like catastrophic injury luck too. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree, Kyle. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm hesitant to do the, the stereotypical Lamar Jackson podcast that every sports radio uh, show is doing at this point and ask you about it. Cause obviously this is, the topic in the NFL when you have one of the five best quarterbacks in the NFL and you, you get to have the debate about, is he worth this much money or that much money? It can fill a lot of time, but I, I guess I'll ask you the Lamar Jackson question. What have you made about the last, you probably know more people too around that organization. What have you made of the last year to like 18 months going around in Baltimore with Lamar and just how the day-to-day work in Baltimore has gone about? Well, as far as Lamar is concerned, he's a he's a, a first world talent. You know, the guy is unbelievable. Um, you can only compare him to Michael Vick. And when Michael Vick played, he had a hundred million dollar contract back then. You know, he had a hundred million million dollar Nike contract, had a hundred million dollar contract in, in Atlanta. You know, so when you look at somebody like um, Lamar Jackson, who even Michael Vick is saying, man, this guy's years beyond what I was. You know, he's better than I ever was. Um, and and the stuff that he's already done early in his career. I mean, I think it's a no-brainer to pay the guy. You pay him, you know, and you pray to God that when you pay him that it makes him want to work harder, makes him want to be dialed in even more, makes him want to earn that money that you're giving him because he already earned so much that you haven't given him already, you know. But, you know, I think he's that. I think he's a, a phenomenal player. I think he could easily be that spark for the whole league to go out and start chasing black quarterbacks everywhere to see if they can try to replicate what the Ravens have in Baltimore. And to me, he is—he isn't the kind of guy that you bring in and you force him to to adapt to an offense. You got to figure out what the best offense is for him. You got to understand that he's different. He's not like the rest of these quarterbacks, and the basic pro-style offense isn't going to work. You know, you got to figure out exactly what this man's strengths are. Put him in the best situation possible for his strengths to be to be highlighted. And I think he's—I think he was set this league on fire all over again. You know, I think he did it in the second season when he won the MVP vote. I don't know how they didn't make it to the playoffs that year. I mean, to the um, Super Bowl that year. That was their year. You know, he should have definitely got a Super Bowl ring in year two. You know, it's something about that first-round bye that almost sabotages every single body that plays this game. Anytime you get a bye week and you get a chance to take a break when you're rolling and you're hot, that break almost puts a pause on your, on your hot streak and you come back shooting cold. You know, like like Clay Thompson was in the playoff this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know what's funny about that is that for years I've always like not necessarily yelled at people, but I kept telling people like it's really easy to explain what happened in the playoffs that year because in the regular season Baltimore was just literally unbeatable. Like they started one and two and literally didn't lose the rest of the season. Like Lamar, right. he had what like thirty six touchdowns and like five or six interceptions that year. Like for all the complaints about being a pocket pass or whatever, I'm like, the man had like the best touchdown to interception ratio in the league. And also was doing all the, the running stuff that, you know, he had more rushing yards in a season than Michael Vick, like that season we did, we didn't appreciate when it was there, but the playoff game, the thing I kept yelling at people is like the Ravens. First of all, there was that pass. I don't know if you remember where it like went through Mark Andrews hands and like Kevin Byard got an interception, like on the first drive of the game, like just bad luck play happened to be right right place, right time. But then after that, 
the Ravens were like a 95% team on fourth and less than two. And they went over two on fourth and ones in that right. game. And I'm like, that's 21 points right there. And then you're down 14, zero. Well, you're up against Derrick Henry. Like Derrick Henry is as good at what he does as Lamar Jackson is at what he does. You give him a 14 point lead. It's pretty difficult. Hard to stop that. Dude. Just give him the ball, man. Yeah. yeah man. You get a ball to a running back like Derrick Henry. He just he just runs the time off the clock. You can't stop him. He wears down your defense, and then the off your offense never get a chance to get back on the field to score points because he just takes the time off the clock by pounding the rock. Yeah, and I always found that weird that like everyone was holding two fourth and ones against Lamar Jackson for years and years, and the goalposts kept moving on him. When I'm like. This is like the greatest, I mean, he was unanimous MVP. So in some people's minds, the greatest single season of football any of us have ever seen. And the the goalpost just kept getting moved on Lamar Jackson to like, oh, flame out in the playoffs. Then Ronnie Stanley has two season ending injuries. And all of a sudden he's not passing the same that he did before when he has like a second and a half less of time in the pocket. And I, I feel like all of that was difficult to do the analysis, but it felt like everyone kind of just breezed past that part when talking about the Ravens. Cause I looked at 2020, I'm like, yeah, Lamar Jackson's an amazing quarterback. He's one of the four or five best quarterbacks in the league. And last year just wasn't enough of a sample size to kind of push back against that. Very, very correct. I agree hundred percent. Yeah. So that, there's our stereotypical Lamar Jackson talk because it's it's that time of the year. In, yeah. in my mind, going back to your career a little bit, like in my mind, I can't, I mean, I'm a little young, but I can't think of like a quarterback who you would have been like playing with your entire career. Obviously, I know like, I think it was Brad Johnson was the quarterback in 2002. I don't remember yeah. if he was still on the Bucks the next year, but you were still there. So how many different quarterbacks did you have in your time, like six, seven um, years in the NFL? Well, when I first came in, I came, I went to the Jets, and I had Vinny Testaverde. So it was Vinny, and then Chad Pennington was the backup. I left to go to Tampa with Brad, and I think it was Brad, Sean King, and Joe Hamilton down there. And then I left there, and then I went to Baltimore, and I had Kyle Bowler for pretty much the entire career in Baltimore. Flacco was my last season, played one year with Flacco. And then I had McNair the year before Flacco, Steve McNair, you know. So I was blessed to play with Steve. He was the most probably the most prolific and dynamic quarterback I ever played with. And then I was blessed to have Joe my last year um, in Baltimore as well. He came in. He was a young freshman that wasn't supposed to play. He was behind Troy Smith, Kyle Bowler, and Steve McNair. And he wasn't supposed to play that year. Steve decided to retire because of because he felt like Harbaugh was just going to be a thing just a little bit too harsh coming off the, the surgery and stuff. Um, the shoulder surgery he had that year, he decided to go ahead and retire. And then um, after, after Steve retired, Cal Bowler ended up hurting his shoulder. So he had to have shoulder surgery. And then Troy Smith caught some kind of blood clot or something in his lungs and lost like a hundred pounds and couldn't play. And then that made Flacco be like our only quarterback that was left. So he ended up starting that whole year. And the crazy thing is he went to the AFC championship that year too. You know, so um, off to Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh and put the AFC Championship, and then they won the Super Bowl. You know, two weeks later, you know. But um, I mean, I had I had some good quarterbacks. I played with some really great QBs throughout my career. Never anybody like Lamar Jackson. Stephen Harris probably the closest thing I ever played with, like Lamar. Um, but I never played with anybody anybody like Lamar in college either, or, or 
the closest quarterback I had to Lamar in college was Daniel Jeremiah. He's the one that does all the ESPN broadcasting stuff now and the TV stuff. He was my college quarterback at App State. And um, he was phenomenal. He was a running quarterback, option quarterback, but he could throw it as well. But he was a phenomenal guy, like explosive with the run. Daniel Jeremiah has some wheels. When I say he could run the ball, he could run it. So he was the closest thing to Lamar I played with in college. And in high school, I had a guy by the name of Wayman White. He ended up going to Clemson, and they moved him to wide receiver. So he was the closest thing I had to it, like from Little League. But I never had anything anybody else as dynamic as Lamar in my entire career. No, like you said, Steve McNair was the closest thing to that. And even that was a few years after his MVP season. Like you said, he retired a, a year later. And yeah. that's I'm I'm just kind of stuck on the Daniel Jeremiah thing just because I didn't know that. So that's really cool to to know that. Cause I don't know how do you I'm thinking, how does he get from college quarterback at App State to becoming like draft breakdown guy? for as either NFL network or ESPN. Now I forgot which one he works for, but it's, that's an interesting path to get to. And then you following a similar path where you go undrafted, get to the NFL. It's kind of weird how you look back 20 years later and be like, dang, I guess we ended up in, in these weird paths and everything worked out great, but it's just interesting to think that y'all both started in the same place. Right. Absolutely. Well, Daniel, he when he his father was a pastor. His father was a big time pastor, and I don't know how he got with the Ravens, but he ended up scouting with the Ravens. I think he went back home um, and started being with his dad for a while, and then he somehow he kind of got with the Ravens scouting department. I remember going to the Jets my first year, my second year, and uh, I was supposed to be going to the Ravens coming out of out of app. I had already decided I was going to go to the Ravens, but they drafted Ty Heat first round, so I decided I need to find another home. So I ended up picking New York. I was in New York for two and then Tampa for three. And then when I went over, I went end up getting cut from Tampa that second season I was in Tampa and I ended up going to Germany, NFL Europe. And I remember being in NFL Europe and coming back to um, coming back to the States. And I had like 15 teams calling me. Baltimore oh, was shit. one of those. Yeah, Baltimore <laughs> was one of those teams. And I had already had a relationship with Baltimore. I wanted to check to see if Wade Harmon was still there, who was my, the coach that came and worked me out when I was at App. He was. He was the tight end coach. Um, so Wade was the huge part of that. Shannon Sharp was now gone. Ben Coach was now gone. You know, so it was just Todd Heap. And then they had a kid they had brought out, drafted out of Oklahoma that got hurt. That blew his ACL, tore his ACL up pretty good. And I knew I would be competing instantly for a second spot versus, you know, competing for the number one spot with Heap. So when I came in to Baltimore, they picked me up from the airport. And Daniel Jeremiah was in the scouting department at Baltimore. So Dang. they already knew who I was. George Cocaine knew who I was. Um, George Tease knew who I was. They both came to Apple, worked me out themselves. They wanted to see what I can do. And they thought I was a great player. They, so they was really high on me. They, they even thought they was going to draft me in the seventh round, sixth or seventh round. You know, but I didn't get drafted. So um, I had a chance to pick the team versus the team picking me. But when I got there, Daniel Jeremiah was in the scouting department. And he was doing a phenomenal job in Baltimore. You know, next thing you know, he started getting into the, the commentating stuff. And, and that stuff has taken off for him. He's he's the guru now. He's like the guy, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm just super proud of DJ, man. Like, he was, he was always a great teammate, a great guy. You knew he was going to be a great father and a husband one day. And, you know, he's just a special type of guy, man. He's the type of guys you want to be around, you know. That's pretty freaking cool. And your paths crossed again in Baltimore, which adds even an, another amazing layer to that story. That's pretty cool. Yeah, 
if I if anybody ever asked me, I said the reason I was in Baltimore was because of DJ. You know, he, <laughs> he, he kept he kept in, he kept an eye on me. He loved throwing me the ball in college. You know, and uh, he he kept an eye on me. He kept telling, "Hey, man, we might need to go get Wilcox. He's in Germany tearing it up right now." And when I got back, you know, the Ravens one of the first people that you know knocking on the door. So it was a it was a no brainer decision for me. A really easy decision for me and. And um, I, Baltimore became home for the next five or six years of my life. But you still had interest from other teams, which is really cool. Because like I'm, I'm too young to kind of like remember the whole NFL Europe experience. But that's pretty right. cool to come back from that. You know, you're you bouncing around here and there a little bit to come back and then have it be oh, there's a dozen teams lined up that want me to to play for them. That's a pretty yeah. cool experience to have. It was man. I went over there as a, as an undrafted. I mean, as a free agent when I went over there. So as a free agent, that means no team had claimed me. I wasn't allocated. So when I got a chance to come back, it was like a feeding frenzy on the free agents that went over there and balled out. And I played really well. I played 10 games over there and had some really great stats. I think I ended up with like four or five touchdowns while I was there. And I played every game. I started in every single game when I was there. And I was a special teams captain as well. I had kind of figured out my real role. And um, I had a, I think I had like 20 or 30 catches in those 10 games. And, um, and I had – I had lined up on every part of the field. I lined up at tight end, at the wing spot, um, in the slot, and out wide, and caught balls everywhere. So that showed them that I was versatile and I was able to do the same things I did in college on the NFL level. And then that just changed the whole playing field for me. You know, so now they actually wanted me to come back to play tight end instead of be a special teams guy. You know, so when I got back my third year, Billy looked at me and was like, bro, what, what the hell rock you calling me? You know, Brian <laughs> Billy. It just made me feel good, man. It made me feel like somebody actually see my talent for the first time since I got to the league. And my confidence started building from there. You know, Ray Lewis had pulled me to the side after like my first week of practice. He was like, hey, man, you number 44? And I was like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, Ray Lewis is talking to me right now. I can't believe this. You know, you know, you get that little feeling like I can't believe this. You know, the head guy on the team is having a conversation with you right now. And he was like, I like your game. He's like, man, keep doing what you're doing. You know, so to get that vote of confidence from the number one guy in Baltimore, you know, from the rest, for me, that's all I needed. You know, I just needed somebody to kind of, you know, reinforce what I had already knew about myself. And that was the reinforcement I needed, you know, so and I took off from there. I mean, that's an awesome way to have that reinforcement because in Baltimore, you're entering a situation where you got Terrell Suggs, you got Ed Reed, you got Ray Lewis. I mean, Terrell Suggs was at the beginning of his career, but you still have right. that that team that already has ready-made stars. And it's not like you have to to build something up or, you know, when a lot of people get drafted and they end up in a team that they're not going to be great for two or three years you come into a situation where you are like already can be a contributor on a team that's ready made to win and has, you know, the strong culture that, I mean, still to this day, like Baltimore still keeps up that same, we're always going to be consistently at the top. And you talked about typecasting big, butt small hip players to play linebacker, like Baltimore always comes back around to that model. And I feel like that's really good. Cause I mean, the thing that we've learned in the last decade or so is like fit matters a lot for NFL players or anyone just entering any kind of job. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like, um, you don't bring a heart surgeon in to do a brain surgery. You know, you don't bring a brain surgeon in to work on your feet. You know, so if I'm a linebacker and I don't fit into a three, four defense, why would you bring in a linebacker that fits into a four, four defense or a linebacker that fits into a three, four, I mean, a four, three defense. If he doesn't fit in a three, four defense, you know, so you have to typecast your players. You got to find guys 
that actually fit into your system. You can't just go out and draft anybody. You got to find guys that will be perfect fits, you know. And once you find those guys, you know, you go get them, you replicate them as much as you possibly can. Um, I think that's what the Ravens has done a phenomenal job at. They knew they, they knew they liked tight ends that could run and catch. So they had me and Heat both on the team together. You know, after we left, they had brought in Dixon and a bunch of other guys. And now they got Mark Andrews and they had Jaden Hurst. And, you know, even even um, um, Pitta, Dennis Pitta was, was the same type guy. You know, all these guys are all receiving tight, tight ends that could run and catch and get in that backfield and, and block from the backfield as well. So, you know, they do a really good job of typecasting the type of players that they need and the players that they want. And Mark Andrews is probably the best I think they've ever brought in so far. It's just got, because of the fact that he's he's so sharp, super smart, you know, super smart, understanding leverage, understanding how to sit down in zone, run away versus man, and, and how to use his leverage to set up the DBs and linebackers when they try to cover him. And then he's the mismatch because he has the separate speed and he got the, some of the best, most phenomenal hands that, you know, any tight end has ever had. So it's, it's kind of good to watch him play the game. The Ravens have always used tight ends in a way that it feels like a lot of the league is moving towards now. Um, mm-hmm. I don't I, when during your time in Baltimore, did Brian Billick call the plays or did someone else call the plays for the team? Well, I was in Baltimore for five seasons, and all five seasons I had a different OC. You know, so oh, Billick dang. did he did call the plays one year. I had Jim Fossil one year. Um, I had a bunch of different guys. Rick, I think Rick Newhouse was called one year. You know, um, what's his name? Cam Cameron was my OC one year, you know, <laughs> we, I mean, we was loaded, man. Like every year we had a different OC, you know? Okay. So every year it changed play callers, but kind of this, I mean, now it's been Roman for a few years, but it's always been rotating play callers, but it seems like every single time it feels like tight ends have been used in that way. Cause you mentioned Dennis Pitta on down to Mark Andrews, uh, Heap, mm-hmm. who was obviously there when you were there, like, do you think that that's something that Baltimore was doing because that was the personnel they had, or they kind of just typecasted that as like, this is the type of offense that we want to run. I mean, both from Billick into Harbaugh too. You know, I think honestly, if I had to really say why it is what it is in Baltimore, I mean, your general manager is Ozzie Newsom, one of the best tight ends ever played. You know, so he understands like how important tight end role is in the offense. It's the closest guy to the quarterback at all times, you know. So it's like, why would you try to throw the ball outside all the way down the field when you got these dynamic players that can run, catch, run people over, jump over people, super athletic right here in the middle of the field, and it's easy access for your QB. He can get the balls out of his hand. He can get the ball out of his hand quick, you know. So if I had to guess, I would I would say Ozzie Newsom was probably the puppet master and behind that whole that whole type casting when it comes to the tight end position. I was one of the first true H-backs I think they brought in and Brian Billick was the one that actually discovered that I was an H-back, you know, and I was around the league, everybody trying to figure out what my position was and Brian Billick looked at me and said, you're an H-back. Do you have any cool stories with like, because were you, you weren't there during the year that Jamal Lewis rushed for 2,000 yards, right? You came in after that? Yeah, I came in right after that. Okay. Do you have like cool stories with like offensive meeting rooms or something like that that you remember years later like hey that's something that i mean you played our few different teams but you're like this is something that i'm not seeing in other places so this is something that was kind of out of the ordinary that they were doing right in like offensive meeting rooms um uh, not really i mean football is football so everywhere you go you know like brian when i went to tampa the offense was extremely hard the west coast offense is probably one of the hardest offenses you could possibly learn 
and it made me it made things so complicated. There was no rules to anything. So it was that whole experience in Tampa frustrated me, you know, just trying to figure out. And they didn't know what position I played. So it made it worse. So I wasn't just there trying to learn one spot. I'm learning three, four five different spots. And um, it was pretty hard, you know, and they had no no real system. It was just like everything was complete memorization. You know, one rule contradicted, contradicted the next rule and stuff like that. One of the things I can tell you that really impressed me, that really shocked me, not impressed, but shocked me when I first got in the league. I remember my rookie year and I was in New York with the Jets and we was at a team meeting and Herman Edwards was sitting up in front of everybody talking to us about, about you know, the playoffs and, and Super Bowls and stuff. And he was like, you know, raise your hand if you've been in the league more than five years. And then, like, I'd say 60, 60 or 40% of the team raised their hand. And then he was like, raise your hand if you ever won more than 10 games in this league. And then it was like 20 people raised their hand. And then he was like, raise your hand. Or he was like, stand up if you've ever been to the playoffs. And then it was like 20 people stood up on the team had been to the playoffs. And they was like, raise your hand if you ever – I mean, he was like, stand up if you ever played in the Super Bowl. And it was like two people stood up. Mind you, Benny Testa have already been in there for 20 years, never been to the playoffs, never been to the Super Bowl. It was crazy. And I was like, wow, like, really? Like, is it that hard to go to a Super Bowl around here? And it just kind of really put things into perspective for me, you know. But beyond next year, I go to, to Tampa and win the Super Bowl, you know. <laughs> I was winning the Super Bowl. And then that year in New York, we went to the Super Bowl my, my, my rookie year. We went to the playoffs and lost in the first round to Oakland. And then that next year, we didn't make it back. But I ended up in Tampa by the end of that year, you know, winning the Super Bowl. So, you know, it was kind of cool, man. And um, then I played another eight years and, and never made it back to another Super Bowl. You know, got a chance to play another a couple, another couple AFC championship games by being in Baltimore, but never made it past the AFC championship game again, you know. So it was pretty interesting and exciting for about nine seasons of my life to be in that environment. And um, I think I, in Baltimore, if I had to say I remember one thing about a, a meeting room in Baltimore, our meetings were always so serious. And the defense with Rex Ryan was always so freaking lit. Like, <laughs> we meeting, hey, Kyle, we would be in our meeting rooms. You could hear a freaking pin drop because it was so serious. And we were like, we got to do this better. We got to do that better. And we got to do this. And then next thing you know, in the next room, you hear some Gucci man or some T.I. playing loud as hell and everybody busts out laughing and Rick's yelling and screaming at guys. It's so funny, man. Like, it's like, man, why the heck didn't I not play defense? You know what I'm saying? Like, because Rex just made everything so fun, man. He, to me, he was the epitome of what a real defensive coordinator is supposed to be in the NFL or a college, collegiate level as well. Well, what, what's a good Rex Ryan story? Like, do you have a really good Rex Ryan story that like, if you're talking to someone about Baltimore, one of your former teammates, that, that the, the story's always going to come up? Um, Rex Ryan, and it was like, Arizona was our special team coach as well, but Rex Ryan, they would, we would get in meetings sometimes and like in, in front of the whole team, you know, we'll watch some clips and they will pull clips up. And then, you know, defense is always like organized chaos. You know, offense is like synchronized swimming. You know, if you miss with one person is off beating and in, in, in on offense, you know, the whole thing looks like it's screwed up, it's messed up. Everybody got to be on the same accord, move at the same time, step the same direction. It's really like organized. It's really like synchronized swimming. But on defense, it's organized chaos. Everybody trying to get to the freaking ball. It don't matter how you get there. It's just full speed, get there. You can make three, four, five mistakes in one play. 
and still and still come up with a great play in, in, on defense. That's how crazy it is. And sometimes I remember a couple of times Rick Fryan would put up the film and he would show some stuff on defense. He was like, bro, sometimes we guys, we don't know what the hell we're doing out there. And then he said some mess like, um, we don't know what we're doing. They don't know what we're doing. And that's the beauty of the whole thing. <laughs> and I thought that was so funny. Like he was like, we don't know what the hell we're doing sometimes, but neither do they. Neither do they. And then we still figure out a way to be great, you know, because you now I was in the era where Ed Reed, Chris McAllister, Samari Roll, you know, Dewan Landry, Will Demps. And I'm in that era. And, you know, they would literally pick one off. Deion Sanders was even playing with us. Like, they would, you know what I'm saying? Like, they would pick one off, Corey Fuller, Gary Baxter, and pitch it back to one guy. Then he would pitch it back to another guy. Bro, it was like backyard football sometimes, you know. And it was, it was such a phenomenal thing to watch. It was like grace and elegance and 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 just confusion and greatness all at once you know i was there on the sideline watching Eric reed pick off those those two balls in the end zone and return them for one nine, 109 and 110 you know break the record at 109 and then turn around and break it at 110 again you know it's just crazy you know so i mean it was really exciting to be a part of that 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 those teams and from 04 to 09 man just amazing experience kyle I mean, it seems awesome. I just, I don't understand why the offensive beating rooms were so uptight. Was was it because like people felt like strangers or was it that like they just, the, the defense was like consistently number one or two or three. Like why was there a difference in Baltimore? We were, we were always the, the, I guess you could say the Achilles heel, you know, we was always the ones kind of effing it up. You know, we never had a real true quarterback. We had, Phenomenal offensive players at skill spots and phenomenal offensive linemen with J.O., you know, um, my, 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 my big dog, Orlando Brown, man, love, I miss him, rest in peace, you know, Zeus, you know, but um, we have phenomenal offensive guys, but we just never had a quarterback, you know, we never had that missing link, you know, and defense was always so solid, so when you got one side of your team that is number one, number two in the league every year. And then the other side is trying to figure out whether or not they're going to even be in the top 15. You know, it, it you know, it's pretty noticeable that you're the problem, you know. So you got to sit down and you every every day you're trying to you trying to figure out how you can make each other better and how we can get better, how we can get these pieces rolling. And and we have to see that defense every day. So you know we're good. It's not like we suck. You know, you see us in offense, we killing people. We just can't get the freaking ball in the end zone. You know, something breaks down every single time. You know, I remember one ball, Kyle Bowler dropped back and went to throw the ball, and the ball slipped out of his hand, and he was trying to throw it, and it fell back. It's like a blooper's reel, man. It's like, man, you can't make this shit up. Like, come on, man, give us a break. You know, so, I mean, I don't know. It was always something weird going on. I was a part of that game where we had – where we broke the NFL record for most penalties in one game on defense. And it's like, how are we at home and we get more penalties – it was against the Patriots, of course, you know, but we get more penalties than any other team in the history of the league. And we get we the number one, number two defense in the country. Like, that don't even make sense. I mean, you do the math on that. They don't even add up. You know, and Bart Scott picked up the flag and threw it in the stands. You remember that, Kyle? Did you see that? I, I'm, I'm a little young for this, but I've seen the video of it, it like years later. I know what you're talking about. I didn't know that that broke the record for most penalties, though, which doing it at home seems impossible because I assumed that the top like 50 would all be teams on the road. Yeah, you would think we would have some kind of home field advantage, but that, that didn't happen at all, man. It was so bad, Kyle, that the dude – picked up the ref the flag that the referee threw down. Bart, that's why he got the nickname Mad Back. He picked up the flag, 
and threw it in the fans. I mean, up in the in, up in the stands with the fans. It was one of the most hilarious things. I was like, I can't believe this just happened, you know. But it was one of those things, man. It just trips you out, man. It just you can't even you can't even make sense of some of the stuff that happened while he's playing in Boston. I mean, you you talk about five offensive coordinators, three quarterbacks, inter- I mean, interchanging running backs. Even I know you had good ones like Willis McGahee came in after that, but like. I, it yeah. just it it seemed like organized chaos when it wasn't supposed to be organized chaos. <laughs> like that that seems how you're describing it. And you know, we, we also had Cordell Stewart while I was there too. He was one of our quarterbacks too. Slash himself. You know, Cordell <laughs> came in and he was a part of that offense as well. So yeah, Troy Smith, he was a part of that offense. And we had some QBs rotate out in and out of there, man. Brooks Bollinger came in there at one point. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's weird that Joe Flacco gave stability to all that. It's not like Joe Flacco was ever the greatest quarterback in the world, but it gave stability, and that's better than what you had before, I guess. He's Matt Ryan. He's just Mr. Consistent. You know, he was consistent, and we never had consistency at that spot. You know, mm-hmm. like Steve Manero was great one year, and then next year he was hurt the whole season, you know. And so we it was like self-destruct all over again. And Kyle Bowler was, was always consistently bad, you know, poor Kyle. You know, but um, <laughs> um, and then Steve <laughs> Steve McNair was phenomenal the first year because he had that burst of energy coming from Tennessee, and then um, we got to the playoff, and then we didn't score a freaking touchdown against the you know the Colts and Peyton Manning. You know, we should have won the Super Bowl that year. I believe in my heart we were Super Bowl contenders, and we should have won it all that year. You know, Peyton Manning came. I think we ended up losing the game like twelve to nine or something off off only field goals. We kicked three, we missed one. They kicked four and hit all four. And we lost the game by a field goal or two field goals or something like that. It's crazy. No, no touchdown scored by the Colts. No touchdown scored by the Ravens. That's how good the defenses were. Yeah. If, all, if only you'd had the stability of Joe Flacco, which <laughs> sounds a lot like how I hear people describe Kirk Cousins now, which is like, is he good? He's consistent. But is he good? He's consistent. <laughs> well, the key to being a good, consistent quarterback is not turning the ball over, man. And that's what Joe did. He didn't turn the ball over. He managed the clock. You know, it wasn't a bunch of three and outs. And we figured out a way to get first downs, you know. And 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 they kept the playbook. Like, it was almost like we were playing high school football. The playbook had got so simple just so he, we could work him in because he wasn't supposed to be the starter. He just got there and he was learning the playbook for the first time. As the season went on, we was able to put more and more in every week. But you're talking about having over 4,000 plays and you only running 100 all year, you know. So that's mm-hmm. how crazy. Yeah, it's it, the simpler you make it, the easier it is for defenses. But sometimes you just gotta you just gotta go with that and like kind of figure out where the right where the right blend of like unpredictability and then also not confusing people. You kind of got to get that blend just right. It feels like, which yep. is kind of kind of what Baltimore did that first year with Lamar because they hadn't rebuilt the offense around him yet, and it was like simple offense, but they're still good enough to win like every game. Whatever that year was that they they went like seven and one after Lamar took over for Joe. It felt like kind of that same thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was the shift motion guy that year. So what we did for Joe a lot was we shifted, they would shift me. So I would shift from one spot to another spot. And then I would motion from that spot to somewhere else. And then that allowed Joe to see whether or not it was man versus home every single time. You know, once we figured out it was man, then we would have one-on-one routes with Derek Mason and somebody else. Or, or, you know, Mark Clayton or whatever, Demetrius, Demetrius Williams. And then he would get the ball to those guys quick you know, or, or heat, you know. So um, it allowed us to kind of know 
right away whether or not he was actually trying to play zone or man. And that gave Joe a piece, not breed. And that helped him out a lot, I think, that year. You know, so I think Cam, Cam Cameron was really smart for, you know, just doing that, you know, working the shifts a lot, working the motions a lot. So, you know, you know how it goes, Kyle, when if you see a guy going motion and the guy runs with him, that means there's a man, there are man-to-man coverage. Mm-hmm. If you see a guy going motion, nobody moves in their zone, you know, so that allows you to kind of peek right away whether or not they're in zone. And once you figure out they're in zone, you can see right away whether or not they're in cover two, cover three, cover four, et cetera. You know, so it helped yeah. them out a lot. I think I think that's always the reason why I hear like uh, the 49ers run like motion on like 64% of their plays, which is like at a certain point you're taking motion, you know it, whether they're in man or whether they're in zone, and then you're just taking it to another level to try and flip them out of man or out of zone. It's it's weird how a lot of that stuff happens. But that's interesting that you had to be the the focal point of what you were trying to do when working Joe Flacco in. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's awesome. That's great to hear. I've, I could keep going for a while, but this has been like 45 minutes and I said it was going to be like 20 or 30. So I appreciate <laughs> the time. Uh, if you want to check out Believe in Ravens, people listening to the show, it's pretty good. They got episodes every now and then. Football season's starting again, so probably going to be more of that. Uh, yep. any, anything else you're working on, I guess, that you want to promote? Either a, a Twitter page or something like that? I don't know. No, man, right now I'm just really focusing on trying to be a good dad. And, you know, and I got I have a business that I run. I have one T-shirt now, designed it, nailed it. It's called Wilcox Custom Homes. Um, but, I mean, for the most part, man, we just, we're just trying to be the best version of us, you know. Um, Instagram is Daniel.Wilcox, and that's it. I'm officially verified now. Thanks to Baltimore. Appreciate you, Ravens. Let's keep <laughs> it. But, um, Kyle, thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate you having me on the show. Good luck with the show, and I hope it continues to grow. Absolutely. I appreciate you taking the time. It's very generous of you to do. So I appreciate it a lot. No problem. I'm sorry again. I was late, brother. It's all good. It's all good. It all worked out. I got fun Rex Ryan stories out of it. It's all good. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.